still, uh, go ahead and be finding your way to uh, Philippians, and uh, we'll be in chapter 4. The last time that I was uh, with you, that I, that I had the opportunity to preach um, here with you guys, uh, we were in Philippians chapter 3, and we talked through uh, seeing Christ as the most valuable uh, thing in your life. And in chapter 4, Paul has some practical counsel um, to give the people at Philippi. And so we're going to take a moment to, uh, to look at that. And so it's chapter 4, it's verses 4 through 8. Now we started things uh, a little differently this morning. We started off a little differently than, than normal, and hopefully that didn't throw you too much. When I asked you to take a moment and think about why you were here, what you're in need of, uh, you may be asking yourself why I did that. Now, I, I, I kind of explained it a little bit earlier, and I'll hit it again here as well. I, I, I sometimes feel like we, we tend to roll in here and do the same thing over and over and over again every Sunday, and so we forget why we come. We forget who we come for. And so why I asked you to take a moment and think about why you came is to try to combat that a little bit, try to get you in a mind frame where you're thinking about uh, why you come into this place, who you come into this place for, and not just putting on that face that we, that we put on so often, that we say, you know what, we're, we're doing okay. Even when we're not, even when everything is falling apart, we say, I'm good. Uh, and so I want to talk about that a little bit today. I want to talk about those needs. Um, if I had to guess, now I'm not going to ask you what, you what you were thinking of with those needs, but if I had to guess, I'll take some guesses and you guys just kind of see how I do. If I had to guess, someone in here is probably thinking me or someone I love could use some healing. Uh, physically, they could use some healing. They are struggling with something, whether it be a disease, a diagnosis, something that's chronic, whatever the case may be, someone in here was was thinking, that is my need. If, 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 if I could just get past this, if my loved one could just get past this, we'd be okay. Uh, because we don't always think we're okay. Most of the time, we're pretty worried about this disease or this diagnosis or something like that. That's probably what some of you were thinking. Uh, others of you, it's probably financial, right? The lowest you've ever seen in that bank account, the lowest number you've ever seen in your bank account, it's got you worried. And you're thinking, if we could just get a little more money, if we could just turn this corner, if we could just pay off this debt, we'd be okay. Or maybe it was relational, right? Maybe we're thinking about a relationship, a, a strained relationship. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's with a church family member. I don't know, but you're thinking about that situation. You're worried about it. I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to be hurt. I need... I need that to be fixed. If that relationship would just be fixed, we'd be okay. Or we talked about physical healing. Maybe it's spiritual healing. Maybe someone in here today was thinking, something I never thought that could creep into my life has crept into my life. And I'm worried for a lot of reasons. I'm worried that that's going to come out to those around me and that they'll know it and either be ashamed or hurt by it. I, 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 if I could just get it under control, if I could just fix this little secret sin that I have, if I could fix it before anybody finds out, I'll be okay. How did I do? I, I, think, I think those are most of the areas that when we come to church, we have a need in one of those areas. Yeah. Let me tell you what the problem is with that line of thinking. 
In every situation that I talked about, what did I say? I'm worried. I'm worried. I'm worried about this diagnosis. I'm worried about the money. I'm worried about the relations. I'm worried about this sin that's crept into my life. That's the number one problem in those situations is the fact that, one, you're worried. Number two, a lot of times we're focused on the solution that's going to get us past that problem and not the Savior that's over those circumstances. And so that's the second thing that we've messed up on. We're worried, first off. Second, we're worried about solutions. If this thing could just be fixed. Give you an example with health. You don't need to be healed. You need the healer. Think about that. So many times we seek the solution to the problem, but we don't seek the one who is over all the circumstances to begin with. And so I want us to think about that today. And we're at a point, we're at a point in the message where we haven't went over the truth of God yet, so we can plead ignorance. And so let's do that for a second. Why do we worry? Why do we worry? I, I'll blame the culture, right? That's, that's pretty popular to do. I'll blame the culture. I think today... We have a culture um, that has to know the answer, right? Has to know everything instantly. If there's, do you remember when conversations, let me ask it this way. Do you remember when conversations ended and somebody didn't know the answer? Do y'all remember that? Like you'd be talking and be like, hey, do you remember who did this or did that? And they'd be like, no, I don't remember. Like, yeah, me either. Do you know who might know? I think so-and-so might know. Okay, I'll talk to them about it next time. Now what happens? Phone, phone comes out, right? Siri, Google, who won the so-and-so championship? Who did this? Who did that? We love to know the answer. We love to know what's going on. You say, well, what does that have to do with worry? Well, think about what worry is. Worry is uncertainty, right? You have a desired outcome for something, right? You want your kids to grow up and be the best they can be. You want your loved ones to live as long as they can possibly be, uh, possibly can and be as healthy as they can possibly be. You want that bank account to be squared away so you never have to worry about paying bills or providing for people around you or giving, whatever the case may be. Worry is when you have uncertainty in an area where you have a desired outcome. This is something that I want, and I'm not sure if it's going to happen, so I'm worried. A lot of things you can Google, a lot of things you can ask Siri to tell you the answer to. But what you won't be able to Google, what you won't be able to ask Siri the answer to is what God is thinking. That is the ultimate source of uncertainty for us. Because we don't know what he's thinking, we don't know what he might do. Because we don't know what he might do, we're worried about the situation. Because the situation isn't going the way we want it to go, we're worried. I want to talk to you about that today, this idea of worry. I want to talk to you about why... Believe it or not, you're commanded not to worry. And I want to talk about what we can do to get the peace that we are missing back. So today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the missing peace. P-E-A-C-E, the missing peace. Now, if you'll go to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8, uh, we'll spend some time reading the Word this morning. So if you'll stand with me. Uh, in honor and reverence to the word. If you're able, uh, we will read, uh, and then we'll begin. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. 
The Lord is at hand. Verse 6, do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You can be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we are about to walk through this text, dear God. We are about to think about worry. We are about to think about why we worry, dear God. What that communicates to the world around us, dear Lord. We pray that you would take this text and help us see the truth in it. Apply it to our lives so that we can live it. Not just hear it, but also do it. Um, and ultimately do all of these things so that we can communicate effectively to those around us who you are and what your word says. What you've done in Christ for us. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. So we've already started off this morning by doing some things a little different, so why stop now? Um, today, we are going to walk through this text backwards. Backwards. We're going to start in verse 8, work backwards. I know this is going to mess with some of our more OCD members, or should I say CDO members, right? Because if you're OCD, you got to put it in alphabetical order. CDO members. Um, that's me. I'm with you. I'm with you. I wasn't, I wasn't too thrilled about this, but I think it makes sense to do it this way. I think if we work backwards, we kind of see how things unfold. I think it's going to help us. So we're going to start in verse 8, and the first thing that we're going to look at is thinking on the things of Christ. Thinking on the things of Christ. Verses, verse 8, uh, the second part of verse 7, we're going to look at that. Thinking on the things of Christ. And so we see Paul here. I mentioned it earlier. Last time I was uh, preaching, we did chapter 3. Now we're in chapter 4. Paul is still instructing the Philippian church, and now he's got practical counsel, uh, specifically in regards to worry, that he's going to present to the people of Philippi. Now, when, when you talk about Paul, and we talked about this the last time, when you talk about Paul, Paul is uh, one of those guys who uh, he's kind of seen everything, right? He's uh, been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. Uh, he had an assassination plot against him, right? Those guys, if you remember back in Acts, they said, we will not eat or sleep until Paul is dead. Um, that's pretty serious. When you've got people vowing not to eat or sleep until you're dead, uh, you would think that you would be one to worry. Uh, but you'll actually find the opposite. Paul is not worried, and he's actually instructing the Philippian church on how not to worry. So if there's anybody you were going to listen to about worry, it would be Paul, right? Someone who should be worried, but isn't. And so his practical instruction has a lot to show us. And beginning in verse 8, Paul states, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, by my count, uh, Paul lists eight things there, right? He says, whatever is... And then he names off eight things. Whatever's true, right? You see that? True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. Now, 
I'm sure there's someone out there who's done a series on these eight words and what they mean and all of that. We don't have time for that this morning. Uh, but what I will say about these things is that Paul is telling the people to focus on these things. Let your mind dwell on these eight things. Now, he's instructing them that way, hoping that if these things are in their mind, right, right, they stay in their mind, eventually at some point they'll pour out of their life, right? If you're thinking on things that are true, honorable, pure, just, praiseworthy, if those things are in your mind, at some point they're going to pour out of your body. That is what Paul is hoping will happen. Let me give you an example of what I mean. That third word that's listed there, it's listed as just in the ESV translation. It carries this idea of almost judicial, a judicial nature, uh, judges, right? Think of it that way. Now, it relates to judgment. It relates specifically to what God judges as appropriate, what God approves of, all right? So that's what we're working with with just, what God approves of. Now, if you think about that, if that is the thing that you're putting your mind on, if you are putting your mind on the things that God approves of, what do you think is going to be the outcome of that? It's going to be a positive outcome, but think about when you don't put your mind on the things that God approves of. Whether unintentionally or intentionally, what happens in your life when your mind is on the things that God does not approve of? What is the outcome then? That's what Paul is trying to communicate here. If our minds are focused on what they're supposed to be focused on, then our lives will look like they're supposed to look. You say, okay, that, I, I, I get it. I'm, I'm with you. I'm tracking. Uh, I guess a simpler way to put it would be to say that if you're thinking on the things that you're supposed to be thinking on, if you're dwelling on the things that you're supposed to be dwelling on and nothing but those things, your life is going to look like the way it's supposed to look. We get it. If something isn't true, right, the idea of it being undeniable, something that shows itself True, right, after a series of time. If something isn't honorable, if it's not to be deeply respected, if it's not weighty, if it doesn't have weight to it, then you shouldn't dwell on it. If it isn't pure, that means undefiled by sin, uncontaminated, you shouldn't dwell on it. If it isn't lovely, something worthy of your affection, something that should be prized, shouldn't dwell on it. If it's not commendable, if it's not something that has a good reputation, you shouldn't dwell on it. Not praiseworthy. Not excellent, not excellent, morally upright or good, right? Something that's good, something praiseworthy, something that's worthy of your affection, worthy of your acknowledgement. If it's not any of those things, your mind shouldn't be dwelling on it. Now, as I go through that list, you know what I realize. Christ is the only one that fills all eight of those things. The only one that is worthy of praise, the only one that has great weight, great respect to who he is, all of these things, the only one that is truly morally good, all of those things that you name off the list, all of those things are seen in Christ. Now, sure, you can make an argument to put one or two other things in there, but nothing is going to fill all eight like Christ does. So when you come down to it, Paul is really instructing the people to put their mind on Christ. Put your mind on Christ and the aspects of who he is. Now, that shouldn't surprise any of us. How many times throughout his writing does Paul say something about the mind or say something about being renewed by your mind or say something about your mind being in control of your life, putting your mind on Christ? Well, Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There's the, there's the mind part, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. Good and acceptable and perfect. Those three reflect those eight. Where do you find them? Christ. How are you renewed? By putting your mind on Christ. It doesn't surprise us. He said it before. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. He talks about how we're in a spiritual war and how we don't fight that spiritual war with physical things. And at the close of those verses, in verse 5, he says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God by taking every thought captive to Lord Jesus. By taking every thought captive to Lord Jesus. So this idea that your mind is in control and should be put on Jesus is nothing new for Paul. He said it many a times. He is wanting the people of Philippi to make every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Think on the things of Jesus. Now, at some point in all of this, a couple of questions should be popping up in your head. Right? First two that I can think of are how and why. How do we get our minds focused on these things? Because when I try in my own effort, it doesn't usually work out that great. So how do we do that? Well, we'll get to that in a second. But we can go ahead and answer the why right now. Why do we need to have our minds on the things of Christ? Well, look, look back at the second half of verse 7. Second half of verse 7 says, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, why do our thoughts need to be on the things of Christ? Well, it looks like they're under attack. If something needs to be guarded, then there's an attack. So apparently, we need to have our minds on the things of Christ so that our actions, our minds, our hearts, they're all guarded. They need to be constantly turned toward Christ to protect them from an attack. Now, that, that picture of guarding is kind of like a fort, kind of like a garrison, right? It's a defensive position that is solely there to defend, right? That's what these things in your mind are there for. They are solely there to defend your heart, your mind, your actions from attack. If your heart and your mind are not guarded, it's not a question of if something will attack, or if something will destroy you, it's a question of when. If, you're, if your heart and your mind are unguarded, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. Because if you're leaving yourself unguarded, you can bet that the enemy is going to take advantage of that. So constantly, our hearts and our minds need to be on the things of Christ. Paul shows that very clearly here. But you know what the problem with that is? The heart's in the mind, that's the internal stuff. And we don't see that so well. We don't see that so well. Most of the time, we don't even think there's a problem with the internal stuff. Our thoughts, our actions, we don't even realize what's going on. So even if we do realize there's a problem on the inside with our thoughts, with our actions, we can't fix them on our own. So what do we do? Try to get all the external stuff, the stuff that you have control over, try to get that under control. Yeah, the internal's jacked up, the mind is unguarded, the heart is unguarded, but man, let me be in church on Sunday. Let me tell people I'm doing good. Let me make sure I'm reading the Bible enough. Let me do these things that I need to do without really thinking through the internal side of things. I'm not putting my mind on Christ. I'm not putting my heart 
on Christ. My actions aren't really on Christ. They're on doing things. Things to make the outside look good while the inside is messed up. So what happens then? Well, you begin to worry. You begin to worry for a lot of reasons. One, there's something going on on the inside that's messed up and I can't fix it. Two, I've done all this external stuff to try to make the outside look good so people don't know the inside's all jacked up. And now I'm worried about holding that outside stuff together. Because if I don't hold that together just right, it may crack and somebody may see inside and see all that inside stuff's messed up. So now I'm worried about a ton of things. And it's all because I've left myself open to attack. I've left my mind, my heart unguarded. I'm not focusing on the things of Christ. So that's the first thing that Paul is laying out in this last verse of our section is this idea that if you do not have your heart and your mind on the things of Christ, you will be left unguarded. The second thing I want you to see, though, I want you to see that there's peace from the Prince of Peace. There's peace from the Prince of Peace. So we've seen that worry isn't what our minds are supposed to be focused on, right? Not supposed to be what our minds are open to, but worry creeps in when we're not focused on the things of Christ. Worry creeps in when we're not focused on the things of Christ. When he's not at the forefront of our mind, and we've got to be honest, the inside's messed up, but we're terrible at seeing those needs, and even worse, at fixing them. So we try to make the outside look good, and really that's just trying to pursue peace apart from God. Trying to make the outside look good is just pursuing peace apart from God. That's not what we need. We need to be pursuing peace from God. So how do we do that? brings us back to that, that question I asked earlier. How do we do that? Well, when we talk about peace, there are three aspects of peace mentioned in the Bible. There's peace from God, right? Peace from God. That's all your, your letters from Paul. What does he say when he opens them up? Grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace are gifts from God. Grace and peace are gifts from God. You cannot have peace apart from the grace. That's why the grace comes first. That's why it brings us to the second aspect of peace, right? Talked about peace from God as a gift. You have to have peace with God. You have to have peace with God to have peace from God. You want that gift, you have to go through that grace. Go through that grace, you have to have faith in what Jesus has done for you. When you have peace with God, that's how you can get peace from God. And what is the peace that you get from God? It's the peace of God. That's the third aspect of peace, the peace of God. Now, the peace of God is what we've talked about in verse 6, uh, well, verse 7a, the first part of 7. First part of 7, it says, peace that surpasses all understanding. So the thing that guards your mind, is God's peace, the peace of God. So what is the peace of God? It says that it surpasses all understanding. Paul's essentially saying, it's hard to explain. But you're probably sitting there thinking, well, try me. Try to explain it. I'll do my best. Here we go. It makes no sense how someone who's handed a diagnosis that they have months, weeks, whatever to live, can in that moment have peace. In that moment, trust completely in what God is doing and know 
the outcome doesn't look good, but I still trust God. It doesn't make sense how when a family is falling apart, people will look to God to help that situation. It doesn't make sense when someone loses a loved one how in that moment they can have a hope for that person. The world says that person is gone. The believer says that person has just started their journey with God in heaven. Right? They're just starting. There's a hope there. That's the peace of God. The peace of God is the fact that Jesus is with you and that God is in control. The peace of God is that aspect of God, that peace of God that he's always had. Think about it. He was here before time. He's never been unsure of anything. He's never been uncertain of anything. He's never been worried about anything. He's never said, "Uh uh-oh. God has never done any of those things. He's been perfectly content, happy, perfect, all-knowing in himself. He's never been worried. So when you talk about the peace of God, you're talking about that aspect of God's character that can fill your life where you trust the one who's always been always will be, who's always been faithful, always provided you trust him and know he'll do it again. Whatever the situation is, he'll do it again. That's where my faith is. That's where my hope is. And so his nature, that happy, perfect, contented, all-knowing nature, who he is, you trust in him and you have that peace. Now, it's probably not the best explanation, but if you've ever experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's something that you can have. This peace of God is something that you can have. And that peace of God is the very thing that's going to defeat worry. That peace of God is the only thing that is going to defeat worry. It's the only thing that is going to keep you from all those concerns you have about all those different areas of life. The peace of God is what will keep you from going crazy in those moments. And I, I, don't, I don't understand how non-believers make it through situations. Think about it, right? Believers, we have the peace of God because we have peace with God. And because we have peace with God, right? We have that saving relationship with him. We have peace of God, the gift of peace from him. But believers don't have that. They're not trusting him. They're not trusting in that peaceful, all-knowing, certain nature, that faithful nature, that providing nature. They're not trusting in that. So when they go through a divorce, or they lose members of their family to an illness, or they're in financial trouble, I don't know why we're surprised that they go somewhere else trying to find peace. Coping with drugs, alcohol, sexual addictions, whatever the case may be, it shouldn't surprise you that someone who doesn't have the peace of God would go looking for that peace and all the other things that the world offers. Now, what you'll find is they're exhausted. They're exhausted from pursuing those things, hoping they give peace when they never give the peace of God. It shouldn't surprise us, right? People always say, like, world's going to hell in a handbasket. Yes, it is. Because people who do not know God are pursuing other things when they need to be pursuing God. And here is a group of people, 
representative of a much larger group of people who are around the world who have the peace of God, who know what that peace can do, and yet aren't telling those people, don't look at these things. Don't look to these things. Look to God. Have peace with him so you can have peace from him for these situations. So that anxiety, that stress, that worry, it can be out of your life. So at this point, I hope you see that you were never meant to worry. That peace from God is something that has been offered to you. You were never meant to be the child of the household. Sorry, you were never meant to be the father of the household. You are the child of the household. You were never meant to be the father of the household. Can you imagine your kids, if you have kids or if you don't remember when you were a kid, can you imagine being like eight or nine and rolling up in there and being like, whoa, I just saw those bills we paid. I don't think it's the smartest thing for us to spend money on this. Or, hey, you've already got two kids. You really think a third one is what you need to be doing? Like, can you imagine a kid coming to the parents and saying those type of things? Like, I don't think this is the best decision for us. You laugh at that because kids have no life experience to make those type of decisions. And they shouldn't be worried about those decisions. They should be being kids while the parents are the parents. It's the same thing with us. The same thing with us. We were never meant to be the father of the household. Yet, when we come before God and say, whoa, are you sure that that's the best decision for my life? Because I've seen what you're doing and I just don't think that's the best decision. You as the child telling the father how the household should be run, that's not how it's supposed to be, but that's exactly what worry communicates to God. Never meant to worry, so trust him. Quit worrying and let his peace guard your heart as you move forward in faith. And at this point, I hope you're saying, okay, I I like the sound of this peace. I want this peace. How do I get this peace? Well, that gets us back to our question from earlier. How do you get this peace? How do you get your mind on the things of Christ? Verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Peace is found by praying to the source of peace. The source of peace is the Prince of Peace. It's Jesus. And you've all heard sermon after sermon after sermon about how important prayer is, and you're not going to hear me argue against that. It's very important. You've all heard that. You all know that. So I'm not going to focus on the prayer part of this section. This is what I'm going to focus on. I want you to notice what he says about thanksgiving. And everything, prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known. Now, essentially what he's saying here is whatever the situation is, whatever the situation is, don't worry about it. Pray about it. Okay, we, we, we've got that. We know that. So if you want the peace of God, then you should be going to the Prince of Peace in prayer and taking all of those things to him and laying them down and saying, you're God. I'm not. I'm going to let you worry about all this stuff, and I'll just worry about you while you're worrying about all that other stuff. I'm going to pursue you, Jesus, while you, Jesus, handle all that other stuff. You take those worries and those fears to God in prayer. But this idea of thanksgiving, I don't want you to miss this. You say, okay, what's thanksgiving's role in all of this? Well, it's pretty simple. A lot of times, worry stems from what you don't have. 
Worry stems from what you don't have, right? When you're worried about your health, it's because you're not healthy. You don't have that health. When you're worried about money, it's because you don't have that money. When you're worried about relationships, it's because that relationship is somehow messed up and you don't have that relationship in a way that you want it. Worry is when those things are all out of whack and you don't have those things. But what would happen if you thought about what you do have? What would happen when you think about what you do have when you're taking those things that you don't have to God? When you approach God thinking about what he has done and how he has provided in the past, it takes a lot of that need to worry away. When Brother Jesse talked about fear, he said fear was misplaced worship. I think that same thing is true for worry. When, when there's a lack of prayer in my life, when there's a lack of pursuing Jesus in my life, when my mind isn't on him, when I'm not worshiping him, when I'm not thankful for what he has done for me, when that gratitude and worship aren't in my life, those are the times where I'm worried. And why are those things not in my life? Why is that worship not in my life? Why is that gratitude not in my life? Because I've taken it on myself to try to solve those problems. So instead of worshiping him, instead of taking my needs to him and leaving them with him and saying, by the way, I know how you've handled everything in my past. And so this next thing, this thing that I'm tempted to worry about, instead of worrying about it, I'll bring it to you. I'll let you handle it. That doesn't happen when gratitude and worship are lacking in my life. And I'd Go as far to say it's probably the same for you. So, what do we do about it? I say that we acknowledge that there is a problem on the inside. That our hearts and our minds, they are unguarded. We, knew, we, we, we need to be thinking about the things of Christ. But the only way to think about the things of Christ is to have peace. Right? Because I'm not thinking about the things of Christ when I'm worried about everything else. If I want that worry to go away, I need peace. When I have that peace, I can focus on the things of Christ. The only way to get that peace is to take everything to him in prayer. But to also have worship and gratitude at the ready all of the time. Something about having a parent close to you that makes you feel safe in a lot of situations, right? Most of you probably had the illustration of the little girl from the, the gospel project. She was blind. She was in a burning building. The firefighters are calling to her, jump, jump out of the building, land in this net. We'll keep you safe. And the little girl wouldn't jump. She's blind. She can't see the net, and she doesn't know the voices that are calling her. But when her father shows up and says, jump, she jumps. Why? Because it's a voice she's trusted, when, when, when Jesus is close to you, when you've been in worship, when you are thinking through things in gratitude, knowing how he's provided and how he's fulfilled his promises, when he's close, you have that peace. And when you have that peace, you know there's no need to worry. Whatever he calls you into, you'll, you'll go. You'll trust that voice. You know that voice. But one thing that we haven't talked about yet is what worry communicates. 
You remember when I told you at the beginning of the, the sermon we hadn't got into the truth of the scripture so we could plead ignorance and say that, you know, it's the culture's fault that we want to know the answer all the time and that we're constantly trying to seek the answer and we're worried when we don't know the answer. Well, we know now that we're not supposed to worry. And we know now that peace is what keeps us from worry. And we know the only way to get that peace is to go to God in prayer on every front with a mind of worship and thanksgiving. We know that now. So when we ask ourselves, what's the problem with worry? We have an answer now. Worry communicates the wrong message. Worry communicates the wrong message, and it communicates the wrong message to two groups. One, communicates the wrong message to the Trinitarian God, communicates the wrong messages to those who are watching you, those who are around you. So, you say, well, show me that. How do you, how do you get that? Well, verses, verses 4 and 5. So we're working our way backward. We've seen 8, we've seen 7, we've seen 6. We're in 4 and 5 here. Paul returns to what he's been arguing all the way back since chapter 3. And he got off track a little bit. He had to answer some questions that got in the way. Um, see, even Paul got off track in his messages. Um, he got off track, but he's returning to it now. He says, rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. That's what he picked up in, in 3. That's what we talked about last time. In 3, he's saying rejoice. By the way, it doesn't bother me to tell you this again because you need to know it. I need the reminder. You need the reminder. Rejoice. Well, he's picking it up here in verse 4, and he's saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice. And that fits perfectly with what he said in 6, 7, and 8. Because rejoice, that word, literally is the picture of leaning, leaning into grace. Rejoice in the Lord, literally lean into that grace. And that makes perfect sense in what we've talked about. Yes, lean in toward that grace, Right? Of course, lean in. Yes, lean in. Instead of being anxious or worried, lean into God's grace. Instead of being anxious and worried, seek the mind of Christ. Lean into him. Makes perfect sense for what he's been saying so far. And then in verse 5, he says what? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That word reasonableness, he's trying to say, let your attitude show God. Right? You're leaning into grace. You're keeping your mind on him. You're not worried. You're seeking peace. You're doing all of those things. Let your life reflect that. that. That word reasonable or gentle, it carries the meaning of how you interact with people, that you're patient with them, that you're just with them, that you're gentle with them. You don't need to bully your, you know, your opinion out there or whatever to get your way. Because you're trusting God is going to handle the situation. You don't need to be rough with someone to get your point across because you're trusting God is going to handle the situation. So Paul's literally saying, lean into grace. Lean into the gift that God's given you. And while you're leaning into him, let that lifestyle be seen by other people. Let them see that you live your life differently, that you're trusting God's grace, that you're going to him for your peace. And he says this, because... The Lord is at hand. Paul's telling those people, you need to let the world see your lifestyle is different. And you need to do it because the Lord's coming back. Essentially, he's saying, look, you don't have that much longer to do it. Jesus is on his way back. So while you're here, do the right thing. Let your lifestyle look different. That's exactly the application for us. The same is true for us today. If you're a Christian, the world is watching. 
And most of the time, they're watching because they want you to mess up. They're waiting for you to mess up in some way. Paul's trying to warn the people, look, your attitude conveys something. Your attitude sends a message. So when you talk about this relationship with God, and when you say you can trust him, and when you are doing all of these things that show that you're worshiping and that you're thankful and that you're trusting him, you're not worried, you're not anxious, when things come up that the world says, how? How do they, see, how do they come up with this diagnosis? How do they have everything around them falling apart, yet they find peace? They, they hope in the future, and they hope with this God. How do they do that? Why are they worshiping? Why are they thankful? That doesn't make any sense. You would expect them to be hard-hearted and bitter and cold. Why are they worshiping? Why are they thankful? Why do they have hope? It's because they have the peace of God, because they're trusting God. They've taken everything to God. That communicates something to those around you, but the opposite is also true. When you tell a coworker. God is sufficient. He can save your life. Trust him with your whole life. And then they see you worried and anxious over different aspects of your life. What kind of, air, what kind of message does that communicate to them? That the God of the world is good enough for their salvation but isn't good enough for those other areas of their life where, where they see you worrying? No. No, that's not it either. Paul's trying to let them know, let them see your life and let it look differently. Handle the tribulations of the world in a way that show that you have trust in God. And because you have that trust in God, you have peace from him. Don't let them see you worried. Don't let them see you anxious over these things because that's going to communicate a message to them. Now, that's not the only message it communicates. I told you this earlier. It communicates a message to God. And this is the message it communicates to God. God, you are the one who spoke the world into existence. You're the one who created man and woman. You're the one who came up with a redemptive plan for sin before the world began. You're the one who took on flesh and came and lived a perfect life and died on a cross and was resurrected so that mankind could have a relationship with you. You woke me up this morning. You're keeping my heart beating right now, the breath going in and out of my lungs. God, you've done all of those things. But some area of my life is not going the way that I thought it would. And because it's not going the way that I thought it would, I don't think you know what you're doing. And so since I don't think you know what you're doing, I'm going to take control and I'm going to handle this. Because clearly you don't know what you're doing. That's what worry says. Worry communicates to God that you can do a better job of being God than he can. Because things aren't turning out the way you wanted them to. You've worried. You've got to find the solution yourself. That is not the message that you want to communicate to God or the ones around you. You say, so what do I do with all of this? Well, I think you've got to ask yourself where you are today. Where are you today? Are you one of those people who has given everything to God and... You don't worry at all because things are squared away and you're trusting him. I can't imagine that's too many people. But if you are, one, I say good job. And two, keep going to him in gratitude and worship-filled prayer. Keep going to him. Keep doing those things. But if, if you're like I am, what I've got to do is, is, is break it down even further and say I'm not doing that. I'm constantly worried about some aspect of life. So how do I get rid of that worry and how do I get this peace? Well, there's, there's two things you got to say. One, 
you may not have the peace of God because you don't have peace with God. Right? You, you cannot have peace from God, the peace of God, if you don't have peace with God. So there may be someone here today who isn't a believer at all. And they've tried and tried and tried to find peace apart from God. But you cannot do it. What you've done is tire yourself out. Experienced a lot of suffering because you've looked for so many ways to find peace apart from God and have not found it. And you have essentially arrived here broken. That may be why you don't have peace of God because you don't have peace with God. But there may be some of you today who have peace with God. You know that he is yours uh, you are his, that you are trying to pursue him, but there are just areas of your life where you find yourself constantly worried. I would ask you to think about those things I said earlier. Think about that role of thanksgiving. Think about that role of worship. How long has it been since you've worshipped him, really worshipped him? How long has it been since you've pursued him? How long has it been since you've taken something to him in prayer and trusted him with it? Instead of worrying about it, instead of trying to take things into your own hands and communicate to him that you can do a better job being God than he can, communicate to those around you that, yes, he's good enough for your salvation, but he can't handle the everyday things of your life. If that's where you are, I would ask you to examine your life and see where that worship is. See where that gratitude is. Think about the things that you do have and take those things that you're worried about to him in prayer. If you seek him, whether it be for peace with him or peace from him, he will be faithful to answer that call. If you come with your heart worship-filled, thanksgiving, ready to lay it down and say, God, I'm trusting you. You handle the rest of it. I'll pursue you. You figure out the rest of it. I'm not, I'm not taking this up again. I pray that that is something that we can do today. That's why I started this service off the way I did. I pray that it's something that we can do today, that we can stop for a minute doing things the same old way, getting in the same old rhythm, putting on the same old cover-up, let that down for a minute and say, God, I am worried. God, I don't have peace with you. I want peace with you. I don't want to worry anymore. I want to worship you. I want to thank you for what you've done, and I want this peace. I want the peace of God in my life. I hope that we can be honest enough to examine our lives in that way this morning. So as the choir comes, I just ask you to do what you need to do uh, today. Do, do, do what you need to do today. If you need peace with God, then come. Make that happen today. Ask God to give you that peace. If you need the peace of God because you've been worried, lay that worry down. Come with worship in your heart and thank him for what he's done and ask for that peace and he'll be faithful to answer.